So actually, going back to your initial comment about potential, you see, the thing about hormones is they unlock your potential because we all know that the DNA has the blueprint for life, right? Contained in each of us. But what like switches it on? So there's the potential in our DNA. What brings that to life? What unlocks that? And that is the job of the hormone. The hormone from ancient Greek means setting in motion. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. What if our hormones are our superpower? What if hormones were the key to unlocking our greatest potential, yet no one has ever really taught us how to do that? I mean, isn't it possible that we are just at the beginning of understanding women's bodies because we are finally devoting resources and money to studying the female body through and through? I mean, I think so. In the little research that is out there, I have learned that in order for women to achieve optimal health and performance throughout their reproductive years and into menopause, we need to understand and work with our inherent biological rhythm and build a female-centric plan that works with our unique biology that fires up our metabolism, keeps our blood sugar and stress hormones in check, and helps our brain fire on all cylinders. See, when women become aware and learn how to optimize their hormones that regulate their energy, metabolism, and ovulatory cycle, they will be able to unlock their best health and feel amazing in their body. I believe it's time to unlock the female's body's unlimited potential by optimizing our natural rhythm, our metabolic health, and our hormones. And guess what? I am not the only person who thinks this. I invited Dr. Nikki Kay from the United Kingdom to break down her research on this topic that you can find in her newest book, Health, Hormones, and Human Potential, a guide to understanding your hormones to optimize your health and performance. She is one of the cutting edge doctors and researchers out there making massive strides in this direction in women's health. Now, before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Nikki Kay is a medical doctor graduating and qualifying from Cambridge University. She is the author of the book, Health, Hormones, and Human Potential. Now she lectures and researches in areas of exercise endocrinology and has many publications in the field. She's a clinical endocrinologist, and she works mainly with exercisers, dancers, and athletes with a focus on relative energy deficiency in sport and athletes navigating perimenopause and menopause. Let's welcome Dr. Nikki Kay to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Nikki Kay. How are you doing today? Very well, and thank you so much. I'm so excited uh, to come on here and be discussing all things hormones with you. Really looking forward to it. Well, this has been your life's work. I just want to celebrate you for that and celebrate the, gosh, you're just, you're moving us in the right direction. I'm always so interested in what was that defining moment for you that you thought, you know what? Women deserve to understand the complexity of their bodies. Women deserve to understand how their bodies are working for them. And we need to change the narrative about how we think about women's bodies. And then the studying of that. I mean, it's led to your new book. It has led to all of your your work. So tell me kind of, did you have an aha moment in your own hormones? (laughs) Uh, Well, to be honest, yes. I mean... At school, I always knew I wanted to do something scientific and I was fascinated by the human body. I wanted to understand what was happening inside in detail. And I realized the most complicated out of all the things I could study in medicine were hormones and chronology. So I love a challenge. So I chose that. And then the second bit, speaking of challenges and liking that 
I'm one of those people. I thought, well, the most complicated and the most beautiful out of all the hormone systems, it's that of the female hormone menstrual cycle and indeed her journey over life. So that's what really steered me. I want to focus on this. And also, you know, as a youngster, I could see actually it was, wasn't, uh, well, yeah, it was pretty bad, frankly. And myself, yeah, I had problems. My periods didn't start. I wasn't uh, feeling enough. I was doing lots of exercise. I was a dancer. And um, yeah, I got the usual, oh, just take the pill and you'll be fine. And I'm a medical doctor now. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute, I'm studying hormones and this just makes no sense. So I thought, well, you know, if this can happen to me, there must be a better way of doing this. There must be a better way of really getting that information across to other women and to make sure I wanted to make sure I was the expert. I knew what I was talking about and not. <laughs> so that's really my incentive. I really wanted to delve deeply into this. But yeah, partly, I suppose, selfishly and curiously for myself, but also for the ultimate, you know, for to share this information with women and men, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, so they can re realize uh, what amazing things female hormones are. Thank you very much. So that was my uh, motivation. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized there's layer upon layer and uh, also hormones determine so many aspects of our health, physical and mental health. I mean, when we talk female hormones, I suppose most people immediately would think, oh, reproduction. But it goes way, way beyond that, as we know. Uh, it's so many aspects of your health. And as I say, mental health as well, very, very important. These female hormones are amazing. So I want to embrace them and, and you know, love their complexity. That still is my passion and my motivation for continuing my work in this. And also that's what led me to write my book. It's like, you know what, in the book, all the things I've learned over the last 30 years, it's like, well, actually, let's just put this, put it there. <laughs> and so people can uh, delve into it and, and, you know, realize what amazing things these hormones are in our bodies. I just love that. And I so appreciate you. And I just want to share the title of the book we're going to be talking about today, but health hormones and human potential. You know, so often we don't necessarily hear those two words together, you know, women's hormones and human potential. I think we always kind of chalk up human potential to, oh, that's a male thing. It's so interesting. So I'm so excited when I saw your book and I found you, I was just like, oh, I cannot wait to read this book. I cannot wait to have this conversation. And one of the things we were talking about before we got on here, a couple of things I want to bring up during the call is that, you know, something that you believe deeply inside of your soul is that women are people, each and every one of us are an individual. We are not a statistic. And, you know, we're often very seen, you know, as a statistic and we're not looked at. You know, I was reading a, a big article, a big research article that was just done that women in midlife between the ages of 35 and 56, this was the, the demographic they were looking at, that over 80% of them do not feel that they are well, they have the right information or knowledge around perimenopause and menopause. They feel like they are not treated like a person or that no one understands what they're going through in this period. And that at least 75% of them had at least one chronic condition already at that point, but just did not trust that they were going to be believed or heard or listened to in the process of them getting well. And I feel like that really speaks to almost every woman I talk to. Mm. Well, listen, I can't agree more. Wow, where to start? So actually, going back to your initial comment about potential, you see, the thing about hormones is they unlock your potential because we all know that the DNA has the blueprint for life, right, contained in each of us. But 
what's like switches it on. So there's the potential in our DNA. What brings that to life? What unlocks that? And that is the job of the hormone. The hormone from ancient Greek means setting in motion. So it means it's going to set in motion. It's going to unlock your genetic potential, you see. So that's uh, why I make that connections about the hormones, the health and the, the potential. So that's it's unlocking your potential. So another reason we should embrace these hormones. And then the second point you make, yeah, it's pretty concerning, actually, that uh, a quote, not my quote, sadly, but a quote from the vice president of the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology here in the UK said that we need to teach to treat women as individuals and not statistics, which exactly is what you're saying. The statistics, listen, we need statistics, epidemiological data, you know, that sort of stuff. So I'm not saying we should chuck away all statistics. No, sure. It's got a place and it's important. Let's see what's what's going on, you know, links with disease and things like that. Of course, we need that. But when you see an individual person, woman, she's not a statistic, right? She's an individual. She will have her own individual nuances not only in her genetics, but in terms of her hormones. So that is such, such an important point. And women in particular, because the hormones are so complicated, there will be even an extra layer um, of individuality, if you will, you see. And so that's also why women get a bit put off. I know, I know what you mean. You sort of think, well, I'll just get on with it because you do believe uh, that you won't get hurt. And and I'm really, it makes me a little bit emotional every time I speak to a woman and try and, you know, uh, talk to her and explain her hormones, what's going on. And someone literally, the, literally yesterday said, I'm so happy I'm speaking to you because up till now, no one has taken me seriously. No one has taken the time to listen and understand subtleties that for her are significant, you know? She's not feeling her best. And like we said um, before we came on air that, you know, you only have one life, right? So you want to make the most of it. Uh, every second, every second counts. You want a carpe diem, you know. And so you really want to, it's important to do that and not just sort of struggle on and think, well, no one's going to listen. That's really, really sad, isn't it? It is. And well, and it leads to a lack of motivation. It leads to a lot of anxiety and worry it doesn't support wanting or desiring, you know, to unlock our potential. And then, then that becomes a vicious circle. Because if you're feeling like this, sort of, no one's listening to me, I've just got to struggle on, this, this is my lot, then that's going to bring you down mentally. And actually how you think affects your hormones. Isn't that amazing? So if you feel, when we say, I feel stressed, what you mean is that your brain is uh, making the calculation that the situation you're feeling is stressful on the system, and that has a direct effect on your hormones. And now we've got a vicious circle. So I've told you that, you know, we discussed that hormones affect your mental health, your mental well-being. So exactly, you can get into this spiral and vicious circle. So, you know, we want to try and uh, give women the motivation and the understanding and the tools, the practical tools. What can you do? to make the most of your life and get those hormones really working for you, harnessing your hormones, as I say. And, you know, these are simple tools sometimes, you know, the exercise, nutrition, the sleep. Uh, let's give them the the ways, the practical advice and top tips, as I say in my book, to, you know, get the most out of your hormones and un unlock that uh, amazing potential within you. Mm, that's what well, we are. The bulk of our conversation today is really going to be what we can do. And you're absolutely right. When we we look at our health and we look at our life in the through the lens of, 
Nobody's going to support me. I just need to get through this. Uh, you know, I'm just going to, it's just, it's my lot in life. We're always going to see everything through those lenses and it's going to be really hard to overcome. One of the, one of the beliefs, the limiting beliefs here in the States, and I don't know if this is pervasive in the UK, it's our hormones fault. Oh yes. Oh gosh, you're, you're just going to get me. You asked me already before, uh, what do I want to get on my soapbox for? Actually, I remember this one now. <laughs> you, you, uh, uh, I kind of understand what people are trying mean, but when they say, oh, my hormones are unbalanced, that's really doing a massive disservice to millions of years of evolution and the hard work our hormones do for us. You know, the hormones know how to quite well, how to adapt and change and do the best they can. But often what happens, I mean, listen, there are medical conditions. Like we should say there are medical conditions out of our control and under active thyroid. So there is, a, you know, clear cut medical conditions that, okay, fine. Yes, frankly, it has gone a bit wrong. That's not your fault. And whatever, that's it. But in quite a lot of situations, it's the imbalance in our behaviors that have provoked changes in our hormones, uh, which aren't that helpful helpful in the sense that they're just simply trying to do their job. They're trying to do their best. With what they're given in the circumstance and they're in. What with what they're given. So, you know, and we have two extremes. I see two extremes. On the one hand, we have the obesity epidemic and crisis where people, let's be honest, are not exercising enough and eating, uh, eating too much. <laughs> Simple as that. They've got a surfeit of energy. And so we've got that side of things, which of course then has an effect on hormones type 2 diabetes, et cetera. But at the other end of the extreme, I see a lot of people, and uh, women in particular, who are doing the other extreme. They're doing so much exercise and they're not fueling enough. So now the hormones are you know, quite desperate. They haven't got enough energy to do their usual um, business to keep us healthy. And so women's periods can stop in that situation. So it's really strange. We have these examples of two situations where too much, some behaviors is a bad thing, but equally too little of some behaviors is a bad thing for our hormones, but it's not the hormones that are out of that balance fundamentally, it's what we're doing. And I do want to just give a little quote that is kind of also the essence of my book, which uh, comes from Hippocrates. 2000 years ago, this guy was really onto something. He said, if we could give each individual, mm -hmm, already personalized medicine, we could give each individual just the right of amount of exercise and just the right amount of nutrition, not too little and not too much, we would have found the surest way to health. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. I mean, that statement is absolutely brilliant and perfect. Of course, he didn't realize 2000 years ago that the intermediate bit to that, to the, our actions and our health, he didn't realize the intermediate thing was 
the hormones that are setting things in motion. But that illustrates the point that what our choices have such a massive impact on our hormones and therefore our health. So just to reiterate, it's not the poor old hormones. Don't blame them. All right. That get unbalanced. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that's, that's what we're trying to say. <laughs> I'm so appreciating. I just, you know, I, I, that has just become the talk track and uh, my audience, you know, the, on this show, we know that they're chemical messengers and they're doing the best they can given the circumstances that they're in. And um, it's lifestyle that's going to really shift how they work and optimize for us. And that kind of segues me into how do we harness, you know, optimal hormone function through lifestyle? Like, what is that, that connection? I'd love for you to connect the dots for us, because I think sometimes we still aren't necessarily seeing the connection there. Well, well, you, you see, that is the difficulty. Then that's the, the elusive thing about hormones. You can't see what's happening. They're obviously invisible to the naked eye, as it were. And, but we know common sense. We know also from research, for example, out of those lifestyle factors, probably one of the most important is actually sleep. Sleep, the chief nourisher and nice great feast. And we know that when you go to sleep, many of the really beneficial hormones, if I can put it that way, uh, spring into action. Uh, for example, growth hormone is released. The two state main stimuli for growth hormone release are exercise and sleep. So when we're asleep, growth hormone increases, and that helps with body composition uh, and metabolic health, for example. We also know that the reproductive hormones uh, start doing their signaling when we're asleep. So how do we know what I'm, we're saying, talking about is correct and, and true, if you will? Because we know if we study people, the release of hormones when they're asleep, this is when they spring into action, the really good ones. So that's number one bit of evidence. The other bit of evidence is we know, instinctively, you know, why do you exercise, especially if you're an athlete, because you train and exercise because you want to improve, right? I mean, I go to my full ballet classes a week. I know I'm old, but I still hope, I'm number one, I enjoy it, but I'm still, you know, I'm still working. I want to improve. I think I can still improve, right? But I'm doing that. But when does that improvement actually happen? And the answer is, again, as a consequence of the hormones springing into action, we know from research, I've done some research on this. We know that exercise increases the release of growth hormone and, for example, strength training testosterone, which, you know, in a certain amount is good for men and women, by the way, for body composition. So we do have the evidence that this works. And also with nutrition, we have that evidence. We know that if you overeat, uh, especially with the glucose, uh, then we know that increases uh, in the secretion of insulin. You can get insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So we have the evidence that these things we're talking about, these lifestyle choices, have an effect on our hormones. And we have the evidence that therefore this can impact our health in a good or a bad way. It kind of depends if we've got the balance of the behaviors right. Yes. And I remember asking you earlier, because I told you there was kind of like an inception point of where, you know, especially as our hormones are shifting and changing out of childbearing years, out of, you know, having a regular cycle into perimenopause and menopause that things began to, you know, begin to shift in either towards better health potentially or worse health, depending. But I asked you, like, when is the time, given the changes, that we should really be focused on loving up on our hormones and loving up on our metabolic health, our metabolic hormones as well, so that we ease into the all of the phases of our life with more ease and grace and we have more longevity on the other side of menopause. And your answer was, can you share with me your answer? Yes. Well, I think we need to start this, uh, you know, understanding and encouraging, uh, giving out good information, you know, in the children at school. 
at a, you know, education starts there when the brains are receptive, of course, number one. And also it relates to what's happening then, uh, you know, as a youngster, a teenager, a girl in school, that's when her periods are going to start. So obviously she's going to be introduced to her hormones. And we mentioned that often the emphasis is on uh, that hormones are kind of almost an inconvenience because they give you a period and you mustn't get pregnant at any cost. And that that seems to be the main emphasis. Yeah, the inconvenience. The that's the big thing. The this inconvenience, this thing that happens to you. It was never painted in a good light. It was never painted to me like this miraculous system of hormones are about to kick on that are going to drive pretty much every function in your body. And they are going to, you can harness them in a way that gives you superpower. No, no, none of that was the conversation. The conversation was like, you're about to just have to grunt through, you know, seven days out of the month because of, I remember my, my mom telling me, our family doesn't have progesterone. So you're just going to have the worst periods ever. Like, get ready. And I was like, what? I didn't even know what it meant to not have progesterone. I didn't know any of this, but I just knew that there was a nasty consequence because of it. And that it was just going to be, I, I just, I, I drew the unlucky ticket. And I think you make such a good point that it's all the negatives. It's the focus too, too much on the negatives and that hormones, you know, female hormones. Yes, of course, evolution wise. Yes, that is for reproduction, I suppose, if we're keeping it in the narrow sense. But um, these hormones affect so many aspects of our health. You, you're right. We should be rejoicing. And like I said earlier, you know, the having a period, it's a free monthly medical check. It's the barometer of your that your internal hormones are healthy and functioning in the way you want them to. But going back to that educational information piece for the youngsters, number one, explaining the positives of this, right? But secondly, also, you know, it, it's very frustrating. If you, you know how it is when you're, you're reading a book or you're watching a film and then it just cuts out halfway through and you never see the ending. It's like, oh, well, that's really annoying. So I think also, you know, for the youngsters, let's explain that this is a journey. Number one, let's make it positive, but also let's say, but, you know, as you get older, things will change. And let's mention that word menopause, right? Let's mention the word. Let's say, and again, paint it in a positive light. There is a graduation for menopause, you know, that will happen. Okay, they might not, uh, you know, they might then forget about that, of course, you know, in their 20s and 30s. But then when they're in the 40s, the, the, the word will be there as, you know, they'll be recognized that word. Oh, yes, I remember that word menopause. Oh, yes, it was painted in a positive light, wasn't it? Because I was told it was going to like a graduation to menopause, the next stage in my life. It is a, life is a journey in all senses including hormones. It's the female hormone odyssey, as I like to call it. The hormones change uh, as you age. But, you know, this is natural, normal physiology. So we have to embrace it. Yes, it can be challenging. I have to be honest. I'm 56, by the way. So I've been there, done that, you know. Yeah. So listen, it's certainly challenging. But hey, we're women. We can we like challenges. We can do this. Right. So but at least if you're prepared and you know that this is what happens and it's normal physiology, it's not a disease, it's not an illness. Right. Well, and I feel like if we are, you know, I think every young girl deserves to know the journey she's about to go on, that she deserves to understand her body's physiology as she transcends throughout the decades and really the highlights of her life, you know. And I think that that allows us to, one, if we're looking at our cycle, if we're, if we're gauging our period, and we're honestly, we're gauging a lot of our, even the week before our period, we're really just checking in with our body and we're honoring our body through the process. And we're noticing, huh, 
gosh, every January, my period's a little bit wonky. Maybe it was the holidays. We start to notice and we start to really honor and make changes in real time. I think it's like the ultimate biohack that the perimenopause into menopause journey may not be as intense as our mom's and our grandmother's journey was. And we get to own it and we own it. We own the pivots. We understand the physiology. We know that the changes are happening. We know how to support our metabolism and our stress hormones as we move through that process, you know, despite all the things that we're juggling at the same time. Yeah, I think it's it's that awareness and knowing can really set us up for success. Like n- learning about what perimenopause was in my mid-30s and like, okay, there's the journey and watching my mom go through it, being her guide in the journey. I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not looking for those experiences. <laughs> I'd like a different experience, please. Um, I really, I was like, okay, what can I do? I'm 35. What can I do to set myself up for the next decade, 15 to 20 years in this beautiful transition so that I really do thrive? in it. Uh, And so I think it really can be not only a mindset shift, but it's lifestyle. It's how do we have a lifestyle harness our hormones in a positive way, even as they're transitioning. Wow. You say everything so beautifully, but um, you know, that point about tuning into your body when you are having a regular menstrual cycle in your twenties, thirties, tuning into it, because it still surprises me. Some women, it's like, oh yes, now you mention it. Every time that in that week before I have my period, I feel really awful. It's like, yeah, that's called the luteal phase. Hooray. Welcome to it. You know, uh, you shouldn't be. But again, in a positive way, this is a good sign. It means your progesterone. It's like when you feel nauseous during pregnancy. That's in the early days. That's a good sign because your hormones are high. So you see what I mean? So again, it's like accepting that, recognizing it. If Sure, if it's really interfering with your life, of course, let's talk about some things to uh, manage there. But the other point you make there about now we're talking about this journey in the perimenopause, but again, looking at it, I think, in a positive way. It's like, okay, this is time to a bit of a spring clean. Let's have a look at the my exercise, what I'm doing. Actually, I haven't done, haven't done any strength exercise. You know, this is a good time to start doing that. Let's have a look at my nutrition. Actually, that needs a little bit of an overhaul. I've just sort of slipped a little bit or something. And my sleep patterns, yeah, well, actually, I am tending to drink some alcohol in the evening and go to bed too late. So again, looking at it as a positive thing that, okay, this is a good time to do a spring clean, a refresh, a restart in uh, harmony with your hormones. I think the problem is when we try and uh, go against them, fight against them. I mean, an extreme example of fighting against our hormones is what's called circadian misalignment. I know you'll be familiar with this, but just to explain to or refresh people's memory, this is when that you have a scheduling conflict between what you're doing and what your hormones want to do. The example of this is being a junior doctor is the very, very bad for your hormone health. I can tell you that. You might as well just kick them in the can- you know, you, why don't you take a vacation for a couple of years and then come back back into my body. Yeah. So that's, that's an extreme example, but also, you know, thinking now, as we get older, the hormones will change naturally, uh, normally uh, physiology, you know, that's how, what happens, that's healthy, that's normal. But then if we, you know, we can't kid ourselves, but we can still do the same when we're in our forties that we did when we're 21. I mean, you know, that it's just not realistic, unfortunately. So Again, this take this as an opportunity to have a refresh, uh, a reboot, to revise what you're doing and see actually, yeah, this actually suits me much better. Now I'm actually feeling a lot better doing it, uh, putting in that strength training. I'm feeling a lot better not drinking so much alcohol or whatever it is. You know, then you get the positive feedback. Okay, now I do feel better. So I'm on the right track. And, and then it becomes a, 
the positive journey rather than the spiraling vicious circle getting feeling you're getting worse, you know? Yes, I love it. Well, and I just want to, I'd love to argue that we really probably shouldn't have been doing it when we were 21 either. We just got away with it. (laughs) Well, that's probably also, that's probably also true. Our body has got quite a lot of resilience and yeah, looking back on it, probably one great, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like in my 20s, I was doing all the, no, I was not taking care of myself. I was in survival mode. I was turning everything off, including my cycle. And I was, I was, I think a perpetual state of insulin resistance. I just feel like I was on a blood sugar roller coaster, but I could kind of get by with it. And, you know, and obviously I know some women complain are just like, man, what worked in my 40s or 20s isn't working in my 40s. I was like, honestly, you're lucky that it worked in your 20s to begin with. It definitely wasn't going to work in your 40s. And yeah, and then like you said, the spring cleaning, the reevaluation and really starting to be like, okay, what is my body really needing? The resistance training. Well, how do I feel every morning when I wake up after two glasses of wine and it, it kept me up? You know, what is, and, 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 and I, I, this is when I love devices. Like what does my heart rate variability look like in the morning? How does my blood sugar look in the morning? What was my sleep score last night? Like, this is evidence. I tabled alcohol for the entire year. I had two drinks this year and tabled it for the rest of the year because I was wearing wearables and I looked at my blood sugar and I looked at my heart rate variability and I looked at my sleep and they all, I mean, talk about, they all tanked for the first time in several months. And I I remember waking up the next morning, although I felt fine, I was like, this isn't, this is not worth it. I can see the results. I see the numbers. I don't want this for my body. My body, my poor hormones, they're just like they're crawling out of the cave from last night. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're trying to give you a message. And I think it's great. You know, you mentioned the wearables and, and, you know, of course, you know, I'm quite old. So we didn't have that sort of stuff when you were younger. But now I think every bit of information and evidence you can find for yourself, be your own detective. I call being an endocrinologist detective work. It's really, it's really fascinating. You have little clues here and there. Um, I did uh, Latin at school many years ago, and that was kind of like detective work. You really had to delve into it and understand it and piece it all together. So it is detective work that I do as a doctor, by the way, uh, in detective hormone work. But you can be your own detective. You can be your own detective. Any information you get, if you don't, haven't got fancy monitoring things, that's also fine, by the way. You know, uh, just a sort of a self-check, actually, how do I feel? Uh, you know, do I feel fatigued? Do I feel refreshed? How am I feeling? Isn't a bad way. But if you have access, and I think actually they are quite accessible, these various wearables and things, that's that's those are really useful bits of information to give you that evidence to help you feel more confident in your choices, you know? I agree. I agree. And you're right. One of them we talked about, one of the ultimate biohacks is your period or that week leading in. And for a big chunk of your life, you can track that and especially heading into these transition that we're talking about as well, where, you know, we really get to analyze and, and kind of figure out what's going on and what's going to move the needle for us. As you've done a lot of the research, and this is something I've noticed, you know, that our modern world or the way that we operate in our modern world isn't really conducive to supporting optimal hormone levels. Our hormones are really just like, oh my goodness, really? Are we, is this happening right now? And it's a lot And women are, I mean, I think now that I'm a mama, and, and a partner and, a, and you know, a community member and a, a practitioner and wearing all the hats. I'm holding space for a lot of people. I probably found my husband's keys twice today, you know, and, and whatever else he lost, you know, and I'm just like, I don't, does it look like I've got mental bandwidth? 
to go and find your things right now. I'm taking care of our toddler son over here. Um, and so he he also lost stuff, you know. Yeah, we're busy. Listen, women are busy. We got a lot of stuff to do. We have a lot of stuff to do, a lot of stuff to juggle. And so it, when you're talking about, you know, we think about challenges that our, our hormones are kind of facing. Is it some of the environmental things that we are just kind of confronted with as just wearing the hat of being women in this world, caretaking, wearing all the hats, doing more than we've ever done before. All of a sudden we're still running the household and we're second income or maybe even primary income. Are these some of the challenges that you're speaking of? Are there some other things that we should be mindful of? No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, You know, women uh, and and, well, you should celebrate that, by the way. No, it's like great that we, you know, uh, that uh, we're both practicing in healthcare and in medicine. So, you know, look at us. Our moms weren't doing this, maybe wouldn't even been allowed to necessarily do it at the level. Well, quite exactly. My my grandmother wasn't allowed to, by the way. Anyway, um, but so, you know, but that's great. We should embrace that. But, you know, the hormones are still sort of doing their thing. So we just have to be mindful of that. And also because we are, I think fundamentally, women are hardworking and determined that because, like you say, we're wearing all these hats, and I love that expression, mental bandwidth. I love it. Um, anyway, but but then then the person looking after us, who's looking after us? We don't have time out, and uh, you know, often when I'm talking to, you know, we feel guilty if we're resting because it's like with lots of athletes I work with, it's like you have to have a rest day, and and they look at me and I say, yes, I do mean rest. I mean, not doing anything. Oh, wow. Or just reading a book or just relaxing. Just let your brain just relax. And do- That's an unpopular opinion. Wow. I know. Exactly. So, so yes, I think we want to definitely encourage and women to, you know, reach their full potential and do all these things they determined to do. But remember that, yes, both mental and physical burnout. And you can push the hormones so far and they will do their best to carry you and adapt and, and everything. But you know, there, there will be a, a point where actually, uh, you know, it's just too much. And then you can easily uh, crash in whatever sense that is. In, in an athlete, it might be overtraining, you know, just it might literally build that feeling of anxiety. You just can't cope anymore, which can be, of course, magnified when your hormones are also changing. So we're talking about perimenopause. And that's certainly something I noticed. You know, it was actually it was the anxiety because my hormones were changing and i was thinking suddenly oh my goodness i'm not i'm not the superwoman i wanted i i normally am doing all this work and everything and so you know we have to take that time to give our body a chance to have its rest and, and recovery i want to segue into the lifestyle yeah oh wow it is a definitely inception point when you get into your mid 40s and I have to say, when I think about the trajectory of women's success, and also when we have families, maybe we have aging parents, and we're going through perimenopause, we are at the pinnacle of our career. It's all landing right then and there, right? Oh, yes, you're so right. That is the thing, because often in your you know, 40s or whatever, maybe your children are teenagers, so they're having their explosion of hormones. And then, yes, your parents are getting older and and your parents that were always, you know, in my case, it was uh, my mother was a single parent family and she was the strong one. She was everything. And then suddenly her health and her ability is just like, oh, no, you're not allowed to do that. I need you now. You see, so then it's really confronting. Right. That's how I feel about my mom. I mean, that's she's not there yet at all, but I'm just like, she's a superwoman. She just keeps going. She just keeps going, like, right? She's going to keep doing that. So that that's actually quite mentally, you know, challenging. You're seeing 
actually, yes, you're obviously, you know, the thing is, you know, this is going to happen, but you somehow imagine that it, it's not now, it's later. And so you have to, you know, but again, you know, that's what life is. Uh, you have to accept that and say, okay, fine, and just take a moment. It's like, this is normal how I'm, no wonder I'm feeling like this because my hormones are changing, my children's hormones are changing. And my parents' hormones are definitely changing. They're definitely even lower than mine. So you just have to accept that and say, okay, this is no wonder. There's a reason for this, but I can do this. You know, I just have to reset some of my things, my behaviors, my expectations, uh, and just have a little bit more uh, downtime and you can navigate that. I want to dive a little bit deeper into this transition because it, it all of a sudden, it kind of does catch up to you. If when you're not really being intentional or you're not really being focused on on your body specifically... And I'm, a big part of this show is really how can we be more intentional? How can we be focusing on our body so we're not surprised by, just like we're not surprised by our period every single month. We, it, we should know it's coming. So, but there are things that are changing. Our hormones are changing. Our metabolism are changing. Our, our muscle mass is changing. A lot of things are shifting here. And, you know, and it, this comes to be that moment of like, oh goodness, like I, things need to shift for me in order for me to thrive in these following decades to come. What have been, and I know some of them are simple, but what have been some of the biggest needle moving lifestyle tools that you have implemented or that you've studied that really need to be on every woman's radar? Sleep obviously is one of them. <laughs> well, sleep is definitely, which can be uh, you know challenging because if you're having a hot flush and having disturbed sleep, then because of your hormones changing. But again, it's just like not getting in a panic, thinking, okay. You know, just simple things, well-ventilated room, just stick to the routine of going to bed. And if you do wake up in the morning with your mind buzzing, you know, at four or five o'clock, it's like there are various schools of thought. Some people say get up and move, but actually this is a good time where you can relax. I just lie there and think, well, you know, I don't actually have to do anything now. Everyone else is asleep. So I'm going to indulge myself in playing my own home videos in my brain. You see what I mean? Remembering times and things and just... You know, just go with the flow, just sort of daydream a bit, I suppose you'd say. So sleep is definitely a top of the list. But the other thing that's emerging as being more and more important, we've already mentioned it, strength training and exercise. And there is now plenty of good studies. In fact, just before I came to speak to you, um, I was talking at the British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine Conference. And I was talked exactly about this, about what are the lifestyle things for, you know, navigating perimenopause. And obviously, it's a uh, sports, ex sports and exercise conference. So, you know, uh, fortunately, I, I knew the evidence that exercise has been shown, particularly the strength exercise. It helps with your symptoms in terms of the hot flushes. Hot flushes basically is a dysregulate. Your temperature regulation goes a little bit off kilter uh, because of the hormone changes. But uh, if you exercise, it's kind of like you're tuning your body to getting hotter sort of in a, in, a, in a way, I suppose I could explain it. So we know that doing exercise in itself will help with your temperature regulation. We also know plenty of uh, good studies by a colleague here, actually, uh, in the UK, Professor um, Tim Spector. He found that doing exercise helped with metabolic health and, again, with the muscle mass, because strength engages lots of muscles, obviously, by its nature. And by using those muscles, that's going to improve your metabolic health, not only while you're doing exercise, but afterwards. Basically, you keep burning fuel, if you, if you want to put it in that way. And then you're resisting that tendency of the decline in body composition in terms of muscle mass. So sleep, exercise, uh, and nutrition is the other key thing. 
So again, we've already mentioned try just to limit the alcohol because it's they're just calories, I'm afraid. Um, you know. Well, and I I really glad that you're saying that. I talk a lot about the reduction of of alcohol and really tuning in about what is it doing for you. You know, that night, that next morning, is it disrupting your sleep? Like, how are you feeling the next day? But and I know that there's evidence. A lot of lot more evidence is coming out even in 2022 and 2021 that especially for women regarding our endocrine system that. There's really no amount of alcohol that is serving our hormones or our body. Yes. I mean, listen, we don't want to be a total party pooper. I mean, of course, you know, a, a glass of champagne at Christmas and birthdays and things like that, sure. But, you know, having to having it as a habit, oh, I have to have a glass of something with my evening meal. I mean, you know, that's probably, that's the sort of area. And so just have a look at the alcohol and, of course, the, the caffeine as well. I mean, yes, I have to have my cup of coffee a day. I have to admit that, but just don't go overboard. But the other thing I think about the um, composition of the diet is really make sure you're hitting those protein targets because we're talking about maintaining muscle mass and, and metabolic health, et cetera. So make sure you're taking a, a decent portion of protein at each meal because it's a very complex molecule so you know you can't save it all up till the evening and actually the other thing i always say is um vitamin d uh now vitamin d uh as you know it's a strange one isn't it because uh, uh most vitamins you get through the diet but vitamin d is unusual number one i'm claiming it for a hormone but also the main uh, source of vitamin d is the action of sunlight on your skin that's what uh, makes it as it were and certainly living here in the uk we don't see much of that uh no we don't not uh, the sun so uh, we're all recommended to take vitamin D supplementation at the very minimum during the winter months. I personally take it all year round, you know? Me too. And I live in San Diego, California. I'm an eight minute walk from the beach. I still take it every single day. No, I mean, unless, and people shouldn't be worried, unless you really, uh, you know, it's like swallow the whole tablet, a bo bottle, you, it's difficult to overdose really. Of course, you don't want to go super high. I take a thousand international units per day, for example. Um, but that's going to help certainly your bone health, which of course is going to be adversely affected if your female hormones are going down. So important mm -hmm. by your hormones late as they go down, not because they're a problem, just that they're protective. They're actually, they're saving your bones <laughs> until they start to drop. So the vitamin D definitely helps with the bones, also the muscle recovery, the strength work you're going to be doing, it will help your muscles recover. And of course, immunity, uh, vitamin D immunity. So you know, again, that's quite straightforward, really, the sleep, the exercise and the nutrition, because I like to keep things sort of simple and doable. Uh, but and so these are the tools you have, but it's the, the point about tweaking them, changing them according to your age. That's really the key thing. I have a question because I, I know sleep is an issue and I will say, and I'm so grateful that I have the most beautiful little toddler boy. He's two. But the last couple of nights we were up many, many times. His molars are coming in and he's sick. Uh, he was sick. He's not sick anymore. And so mama, we call me the, you know, when you ask for the manager, can I please speak to the manager? That's who I, I'm, I'm the manager. So I was, manager was called all night long and, um, oh my gosh, I woke up and I was just like, oh my goodness. Because, you know, at 43, it's a very different ball game than it would, it would be at 22, 24. And I felt it. I, I just felt low resourced, you know, I can feel it. And it was three days of this. By the third day, I thought I was going to just lose my mind. I was like, I, this, is, this is getting really hard. But I implemented strategies and techniques as I was like, this is a conflicting priority. My son comes first. I want to sleep so badly. I don't have a problem with sleeping, but my son is waking up and that's the conflicting priority. I'm going to choose my son every time. 
over my sleep, especially at this age. When he's 13, different story, you know. So what I did is I, I first thing I did is I went outside. I got a vitamin, vitamin sun, you know, a boost. I walked around. I was trying to turn on the cortisol awakening response. I was trying to boost my mitochondria. I was doing my best to biohack the fact that I didn't get what I really needed, which was sleep. And so any kind of, because I know that there are women like myself in circumstances like this, where the priority becomes family or whoever it is. Are there, are there strategies that you've researched or, or studied that can help us as we're trying to get the better sleep routine, as we're trying to build the nutrition that can kind of bridge the gap to us getting there a little bit? Well, I think you make a really important point that, you know, this is the theory, but life gets in the way whether that's a toddler that's whether that's being on call as a doctor whatever it is life isn't per- well life isn't perfect so you have to sometimes you don't want to get too stressed or you know there is no such thing as perfect by the way and these things happen and like you say priorities you know if you're if you're a uh, youngster is needs that support of course you have to be the the mummy manager right but what you've already mentioned is very important the temptation is that oh well Maybe I could sleep in if you could, but actually doing what you say, trying to maintain that routine and going outside the fresh air, the sunshine, as you say, get try and keep that cortisol uh, uh, diurnal variation going. Okay, so that's very important. Having said all that, if you really are struggling and if you can put your head down for a 20 minute nap noon, that's okay, provided you do that before 4 p.m. so you don't disrupt the, the whole circadian rhythm. So a 20-minute nap, and it's like like an official nap, if you know what I mean. Don't feel guilty or whatever. It's like 20 minutes and put it on your timer. That's what I do. It's like, you know what? I'm really struggling here. I need that 20-minute nap. It's fine. I deserve it. I know I'm going to be more efficient if I do this. And I put the timer on and, you know, uh, eye mask on. Don't, don't look at the phone. Don't do anything. Just like, you know, even if you don't fall asleep, it doesn't matter. Just lie there and relax. Fall, but no more than 20 minutes. Otherwise, then your body will get a little bit out of out of whack. Exactly. So that's a top tip. Just if, you know, the, the power nap can be helpful uh, in these situations, I think. I love it. And do you have any recommendations? I know that you go into this a little bit in your book, but obviously blood sugar irregularities, insulin resistance, they start to really wear on our metabolic health. Women, we stop being as metabolically flexible. Maybe we never really were, let's be honest. It's debatable. And it really becomes, I know that we become more and more insulin resistant as we, as especially as we head into our, in our forties and then, and then beyond. What are, do you have any recommendations around? I mean, obviously protein is a major player here and I get that too much protein, if you are already insulin resistant, could potentially drive a little bit more of blood sugar rises, but I rather, I really want women to get their protein. But are there recommendations that you have when, I know you're working with athletes and so this becomes so critical, but for the everyday woman, I, I cannot tell you almost every single day, I, I meet women who are almost pre-diabetic or pre-diabetic, didn't know, daily. Yeah, that is a bit scary. Well, listen, I think that um, the key thing is, yes, as you say, obviously don't overdo the protein because that after all stimulates insulin release, but, but um, we don't want you to be skimping on protein. But if you are going to look at really sort of managing sources of glucose, well, we've already mentioned the alcohol, so that's got to go, I'm afraid. Uh, but on the other hand, we don't want to swing over to the other extreme. We don't want extreme dieting. We don't want cutting out all carbohydrates, okay? So it's just a case of just a little nudge of the portion size down in the downward direction. So nothing dramatic, 
just if you think, oh, well, actually, I'll just have that extra slice of bread. It's like, no, actually, I won't. You know what I mean? Just just uh, without restricting it, but just be mindful of the portion size, which maybe you it would have been fine when you were 20 to take that extra slice of bread or, well, oh, yes, I have that extra spoonful of pasta. But just, you know, just go easy <laughs> uh, on it, but don't cut it out entirely because you want to sort of sneak up on this, as it were, right? <laughs> uh, because if you do the dramatic oh, I'm not eating anything, or I'm really going to reduce it, then your body will get in a real shock situation. And actually, it will downregulate your metabolic rate, which is the last thing you want to be doing. So actually, do the strength training to increase the metabolic rate and just keep an eye on the portion size evenly distributed throughout the day. Because the other thing that often happens, I don't know if you see this, that you know, people think, right, I'm not going to eat much this day. And they hardly have any breakfast or skip it. Not a good idea anyway. Uh, you know, and then they're very, very low. And then they're ravenous in the evening. And then they really eat, overeat almost too much in the evening. When we're more insulin resistant. Yeah, exactly. And so this is going to cause a massive insulin spike. So not good. So if you really want to manage this consistency, nothing dramatic, and just sort of almost sneakily, surreptitiously, just a little bit, a uh, little bit less uh, of the, especially the uh, the simple carbs, the one are going to be, those are the ones that are going to be quickly digested, which will stimulate an insulin spike. So if possible, opt for the slow release complex carbohydrates. So if possible, if you're going to have bread, you know, the wholemeal bread, something like that, all those sorts of tips. Number one, it will make you feel fuller, right? Because it's slower to digest. So you won't feel that, oh, I want to have some more. Uh, but also it, it's better. It will give you less of an insulin spike. So those are my, that's what I generally say to people, because I know people, everyone wants a quick fix. Who doesn't, you know, but and you think, oh, I'll do a quick fix. I just want to eat anything for a week or, you know, really reduce. And then, and then people get really frustrated that it backfires, you see. So the glucose uh, and the insulin resistance, but also the cortisol goes up. Although cortisol we've mentioned is a, is a good hormone. You want that for sure. To keep you up and going, but on the other hand, if you if you overuse cortisol, then that's a cortisol favors. She's amazing. If you don't overuse her, I have abused cortisol. <laughs> I am taking full responsibility in my activities. <laughs> Poor thing. She's probably worked the hardest in my body. She's like, oh my god, what are we doing? You know. Okay, so my last question for you, I know we mentioned the mental health piece, the anxiousness piece, and are there some recommendations, um, especially I know with our changing hormones, like you said, they have a profound impact on our emotional and mental well-being far more than people are owning and recognizing in the science world. But I think some of us as women kind of know, we know inherently, we start to feel the shifts. Are there some recommendations you can make? You know, obviously there's an uptick of depression and anxiety that happens in our 40s, kind of at the tail end of perimenopause, into perimenopause, and it doesn't necessarily go away always once they get into menopause. Do you have any recommend? I mean, obviously resistance training, amazing. Nutrition, huge. Sleep, huge. But anything else up your sleeve that you think could help us kind of mitigate some of that when we're in it? Well, I think actually not taking antidepressants. Because that's something also, if you go, you know, out to the doctor and they'll be maybe quite keen, depends which doctor you see, to give you antidepressants. But I don't think, right, I mean, obviously, you know, if it's a genuine mental health issue, then of course that needs treating. But try to avoid that. And I think really, the apart from the lifestyle things, I think we do have to have that HRT discussion, don't we? Uh, because um, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, 
as I think we all know, there was a study back in the 2000s which did a big damage to yeah, women's understanding of this because the media jumped on information which wasn't yet published and peer-reviewed, et cetera. And the headlines, uh, HRT causes breast cancer came out. And of course, understandably, women were scared. Who wouldn't be? Because that plays on your worst fears. But actually, when all's said and done, when the dust settled and people poured over the data, actually, that's not the message, the correct message, should I say. There were some issues with the study itself. The women were overweight. We know that already that increased the risk of breast cancer. They were actually quite 10 years past the menopause and having sort of like old-fashioned HRT, if I can put it that way. So there are many reasons why the study wasn't great. But we still have the aftermath of that because, again, going back to statistics, don't always tell the full truth. However, you look at these statistics, you know, sometimes people say, oh, yes, it does increase breast cancer. And we have to be honest and say, listen, there is a slight increase in breast cancer if you take HRT. There's an extra four cases of breast cancer per 1,000 women, women aged 50 to 59 taking HRT. But there's a reduction of seven cases of breast cancer if you do two and a half hours or more of exercise per week. Do the maths. And this compares to women who don't take HRT who are overweight, they're not exercising, they're drinking alcohol, they're smoking, et cetera, et cetera, whopping extra increase 24 cases. So you see what I mean? You definitely should... Uh, you know, consider HRT. Unfortunately, the only absolute contraindication for HRT is a personal um, history of breast cancer or very close family history of breast cancer. And then maybe that, for obvious reasons, that's not such a good idea. But for most women, thankfully, it's definitely on the cards, on the table. And so, you know, going back to your original question about mental health, these hormones, because they're important for physical and mental health, when they're very low, in perimenopause and, of course, menopause, lo and behold, if you replace them to physiological levels, what they were before, in other words, then that's going to help. So actually going straight for the the hormone support, as it were, at the very least, you know, if you're a woman listening to this and you're, you're still nervous and unsure, the thing is, look at the information, like the information I've just given you, I have the whole chunk in my book, and inform yourself and try. You know, there is a little bit of trial and error because we're talking about personalization. Um, I was fortunate and the first, you know, dose, as it were, of HRT I took, that suited me and I'm still on it. That's fine. But for some women I work with, there is a little bit of tinkering, shall we put it like that? We start off a very low dose and then we see and we titrate it upwards rather than starting high and going low. And also some women uh, get quite enthusiastic. It's like, oh, this is really great stuff. And they... (laughs) lather it on the estradiol gel and it's like well actually no that's probably not going to help so again be patient okay it's worth at least exploring and trying and also if one type of hrt doesn't suit there's lots of various forms again that's that's i take you know i quite quite enjoy that personalizing uh, that approach but that is probably gonna help not only for your quality of life your mental health but also in terms of your long-term health because we mentioned osteoporosis, we mentioned osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease. If you take HRT, we know that that helps. So that really, I think, is something that at least consider it and at least don't dismiss it automatically. Um, you know, inform yourself and make that informed decision. I agree with you 100%. I believe that women deserve all the levers to pull. Why not? 
and slathering a bunch of hormone replacement therapy, you know, bioidenticals, whatever it may be, isn't going to fix insulin resistance, isn't going to address the sleep. And so it's got to be in tandem. Yeah, exactly. And it should be first that you do all the lifestyle things we've discussed first. Certainly that's what we say here in the UK. Um, I'm a member of the British Menopause Society. We say, let's get, let's refresh, reboot, revise your exercise, your nutrition, your sleep. Let's sort that out. And that will make you feel a lot better anyway and more in control. And then we discuss the HRT and the possibilities. And certainly now the tendency is to try to sort of ease you into HRT. Maybe you're still having some periods. Rather, it used to be very old fashioned. It must have been written by men. You have to sort of prove, prove, it must have been, you prove your menopause and you have to wait for a year and feel dreadful and have no periods. It's like, oh, so now, you know, it's possible to start it sooner, but definitely on a good foundation. Yes. And I am a big fan of starting it sooner. Why should you have to suffer in perimenopause? No, quite. No, no, crazy. Exactly. You want to carry on doing all the things you want to do. Yeah. Oh, wow. This has been the most incredible conversation. And Nikki, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to have the link to the book, Health Hormones and Human Potential, um, in the show notes. I want everyone to go and grab it. It's so, po- it's just incredible. It's you, just your research, the, the knowledge, the understanding. Every woman deserves to understand this, this information about their bodies. And where else would you love us to plug into you? Um, yeah, well, the book has got all the information, but I also have my own website, uh, Nikki K Fitness. And I put blogs and information there. And I also offer virtual, you know, advisory appointments about lifestyle. I mean, I know you're doing amazing work over there, but, you know, it doesn't harm to have uh, connections, uh, you know, international connections. And I work with lots of people in the U.S. and vice versa. So, you know, um, people can go to my website and, you know, uh, have a look at the, the ways to link up there. And I give other talks and presentations. So that would be the other place to to have a look. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to have you here and to get to connect with you and learn from you. It's it's just been such a delight. No, well, listen, thank you so much for having me. I think we could talk all night, but we better get our sleep, right? <laughs> it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Not going to lie. I love the refreshing outlook that Dr. Nikki has on the female body and what our hormones are fully capable of if we just took a moment and gave them the much needed credit that they deserve. She is right. Our hormones are doing the very best they can given the circumstances that they're in and the root causes impacting their ability to function. I mean, it's not the thyroid's fault that there is a major leaky gut issue or that we're dealing with chronic stress, right? Now, if you are a research geek like myself and you wanna learn more about what she's up to and you wanna dive deeper into the research in her book, I will have the link to Nikki's book along with where to go and check her out in the show notes for this episode. Now, if you loved some of the things you learned today, be sure to to subscribe for the show and leave a quick review so that more women are showing up and becoming the CEO of their health.